This morning, we have a focus of the next generation because of its Youth Sunday, but like I've already said, the next generation is the current generation. And so this morning, we are going to look in 2 Timothy chapter 2 at a portrait of genuine faith. You know, 2 Timothy is a book that was written by the Apostle Paul. It's a letter. It's the second letter uh, that is in God's Word that Paul wrote to his son, quote-unquote, in the faith, Timothy. In fact, many theologians would agree that 2 Timothy was most likely the last book that Paul wrote, one of the last letters that he ever wrote before his pending death. I believe if you read through 2 Timothy, you will see a man who knows his time is short, who knows his death is about to happen, and has one parting shot to give to one of his closest people in his life. And he takes an entire letter, four chapters that we've divided it into in our modern time. Then it was just one complete letter, and he takes his time to write to Timothy to implore him, stand strong in the faith. But Paul does what uh, every good leader should do, and uh, if you've ever taken any type of management courses or whatever, uh, they call it all different things. I call it the leadership sandwich, though, right? Uh, You start off with recognizing a good uh, thing about them, you slip in some admonition in the middle, and then you follow it up with a good uh, parting shot, right? And Paul does that, because he's going to start out this morning in chapter one, and he's going to recognize some good things in Timothy's life. He then is going to transition to implore him and really encourage him and say, hey, here's some things that I've seen other people do. Don't do those things. And then he's going to call him again to keep following after Jesus. Paul writes Timothy, and he writes him, as I've already said, as a son in the faith. But what does that mean? Well, we meet Timothy over in Acts chapter 16 for the first time. If you ever read over in Acts chapter 16, you'll see that it mentions Timothy and his mother, who was a Jewish believer. And it actually puts in the word, she was a Jewess and a believer. Now, right after that, it mentions Timothy's father, who was a Greek, and takes no time to mention that he was a believer. Now, this has caused much debate, right, among uh, people who like to discuss theology. Was his dad a Christian? If so, why didn't it mention it? Also, why is Timothy's father never mentioned in any of the letters? Why is it just his mother and grandmother that we'll see in just a second? Some would say it's because maybe his father passed away and he was physically not present. Others would say, well, it's implied in Scripture that he was not a Christian because it said his mom was, it said his grandmom was, but it never mentions that he was. However, whether his father was not physically present, not spiritually present, or both were true, Timothy needed Paul to fill a role in his life, and Paul willingly stepped in to this young man's life. Many times we call Timothy a young man, and we think of him as a teenager, but he truly wasn't a teenager. He was most likely in his 20s. But Paul had known him for a while, and Paul had decided he was going to mentor him in the faith, and he writes him this letter to call him to stand firm in the faith. I hope you've turned to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to read the first 14 verses this morning, and then we will pray and we will study and see some things in these scriptures that we can apply to our lives. Verse 1 of 2 Timothy chapter 1 says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child. 
That's why we call him a son in the faith. He uses fatherly terms with Timothy. Verse 3, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Are you feeling the love here? Paul cares for Timothy. Paul loves Timothy. Verse 5, I am reminded of your sincere faith. The word sincere there literally means genuine or authentic. Timothy, I'm reminded that you have the real deal. You don't just say you love Jesus. You have a genuine faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I am sure... I know it dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, here's some admonition. Don't be ashamed of, my, of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested. That's a fancy word for shown. It's been shown through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Lord, we come before you and we thank you for your word. Lord, I ask that you would speak to each one of us wherever we are this morning, Lord. I know that in this room there are grandparents, there's parents, there's students, there's children. And Lord, everyone is in a different place in their life. But Lord, it stands true that every single one of us, if we want to meet you one day, we must have a genuine faith that is working itself out each and every day in our life. And Lord, I pray that you would lay on our hearts and convict us this morning, Lord, how we might be not living out the genuine faith that some of us have. I pray that you would convict us, those of us who maybe we don't even have a genuine faith, Lord, in you. We don't have a relationship with you. And Lord, I pray that you would convict us of how we can help the next generation to have a genuine faith in you. Something that's authentic, sincere, and life-changing. Not something that's just something we do for fun, not something that's just words only, but something that is radically life-changing because, Lord, that is what you have promised us in your word that salvation and a relationship with you is. So this morning, I pray that you would encourage us from your word, that you would convict us from your word, and that you would speak to us from your word. We love you, and in Jesus' name, amen. A portrait of genuine faith. Some of you know that I uh, spent some time in India back when I was in college. So I went there my uh, let's see, in between my junior and senior year of college, 
I decided that we would go, uh, I was going to go to India. So I prayed about it. Lord opened some doors. Me and a friend, we were like, we need to do an admissions internship anyway. I had to do that for a class. I got three credits if I did it. So I set up an internship through um, a uh, missions connection I had in, uh, in India through my family. And me and a buddy of mine, we hopped on a plane and we went. And I will never forget flying into India and just like the culture shock of getting off the plane in a city of 25 million people and everything that was happening and just like, whoa, what is going on? So I remember that was the first night and I was just like in complete culture shock. And I remember my brother took us around a little bit that night and he was like, hey, here's the deal. Here's where everything's at. Like, uh, this is the neighborhood, right? And he showed us around like two blocks in a city of 25 million people. And he's like, this is your home, okay? And they had, I know, it's crazy. In India, they had a 24-hour like stop and shop gas mart right down from where we were staying. And I was like, dude, this is pretty cool. I mean, like, I wasn't expecting this in India. And so I remember we dropped off our luggage. We were jet lagged, so we weren't sleeping, even though it was like 11 o'clock at night. And I looked at my buddy. I was like, I'm hungry. Let's go down and let's find some Indian food. Now, that should be the first thing that you hear in this story that is not a wise choice that we made, okay? Indian food is wonderful when consumed from people who know how to cook Indian food, not from stop and shop gas marts in India, okay? That's the first thing to learn from this story. But we decided to go down there, and we went to the freezer section. Now, this should be the second lesson that you learn. In a country that uh, does not have much AC, also a country that is very warm, uh, the days were sometimes 115 to 120 while we were there, we went to the freezer section. It's the second problem there. So we started looking because we're bachelors. We don't know how to cook. And we found a frozen chicken biryani meal. Now, I am someone who grew up in high school on microwavable meals. Anybody else like me? Did you ever grow up on like microwavable meals? I didn't want to cook. I didn't care about cooking. I didn't want to learn how to cook. I knew how to make a grilled cheese sandwich, and I knew how to warm up soup, and I can turn the oven on and throw something frozen in, but the microwave was my best friend. So when I saw this, it reminded me of high school, and I was like, how bad can it be, an Indian TV dinner? So I got this, and I took it home, and I went and made it, and I remember eating it, and I started to partake of this meal, and I don't know how to explain it other than it got hotter and hotter the farther I got away from consuming the meal. So I had stopped eating by now, it was gone, and my body was literally warming from the inside out. And I was like, what is going on? Um, whatever factory this went through, they put all of the pepper for the whole batch into this one meal. And I remember the next day I woke up and I actually had to go to the doctor because my throat got blistered by this meal. And I remember, I learned my lesson very quickly, I will never buy chicken biryani that is frozen from a stop and shop gas mart in Delhi, India. It was not the real deal. Now, a couple of weeks later, we got invited over to a uh, person's house that was uh, a, uh, Indian, a, a native Indian who was working at uh, the school where we were teaching English. And they cooked us chicken biryani fresh. And let me tell you, yes, it was a little warm, but the warmth went away, 
and it tasted absolutely amazing. And then I knew I got a fake substitute from that stop and shop gas mart. You say, Stephen, why do you tell us that story? Well, I tell you that story because of this. Many of us sometimes think in our life that our relationship with Jesus, our faith, is authentic. But many times when we look at Scripture, and if we compare our lives with Scripture, it doesn't always add up. And when we see the real deal, the real chicken biryani, so to speak, what we have going on in our lives is a completely false and fake substitute that only causes pain and harm to our spiritual state and our spiritual lives. This morning, we want to look in Scripture, and we want to see a portrait of genuine faith, and we want to make three observations. We want to make three simple observations from this text, and we want to see that genuine faith is both a group project and an individual endeavor. We ought to seek out our own genuine faith, but we also ought to help others in their endeavor after genuine faith in their own lives. This morning, our first observation from this passage about genuine faith is we want to see the roles that contribute to genuine faith. The roles that contribute to genuine faith. In this passage, verses 1 through 7, you're going to see three specific roles that were filled in Timothy's life that contributed to him having a genuine faith. The first role is this, his family. Again, we, we did not see Timothy's father, but we saw his grandmother and his mother in verse 5. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. Family is the most important provision that God has given to children to guide them both physically and spiritually as they grow up in their lives. We firmly believe that here. We believe that what we do on Wednesdays, what we do here on Youth Sunday, what we do at activities, that is never a replacement for parenting or a replacement for family or a replacement for your family's spiritual health and guidance at home. We believe that simply we are an extra thing to come alongside and support you and to help you because family is important. And if you look in God's word, the family dynamic of a parent guiding their children and a child humbly obeying their parents' guidance is one of the most beautiful pictures in God's word, I think. God talks about honoring and obeying your parents first for this is right. And then he follows it up with promises that your life will go well. Things won't always work out, maybe. Yes, there will be trials, and yes, there will still be hard times, but you can avoid so much pain if you follow their guidance. Family is important as we seek to have genuine faith in our lives. Parents were given to us by God to guide us. Siblings were given to to us by God to refine us. An extended family was given to bless us. Family is important. So where the rubber meets the road is, is in your family, are you seeking after a genuine faith? You say, well, Stephen, my family didn't really support me in a genuine faith. Okay, 
Timothy might be able to relate with you partially on that because while he had a mother and grandmother um, who supported him in a genuine faith, his father might have died. He might have not had a father in his entire life to help him grow up into a man. He can relate. However, you are not responsible for others' influence in your life. You can only be responsible for your influence that you have. So are you seeking to strive to push your children towards Jesus Christ? Are you seeking to strive to obey your parents, students? You want to know something? When I was in high school, I remember hearing my dad's and mom's advice. I remember it would hit this ear, and it would go out the other ear, and I'd be like, (laughs) okay, I know you think you know what you mean. And I get it. And your opinion's good. But I don't think you mean what you think you mean because you're wrong. And then I would go do it, what they said not to do, and guess what? Come dragging back and I'd be like, well, I don't know how to tell you this, but what you said was right, and I'm here to tell you that I realize that now. You know, every day that I get older, I find that to be more and more true. And yes, parents are never perfect. My parents weren't perfect either. They made mistakes too. However, I've found that the majority of the time, I wish I would have done everything that they had asked of me to do. Parents, are you pushing your children towards Christ? Children, are you willingly and humbly, obediently following after their guidance? Family is important as a role that contributes to a genuine faith in our life. There's a second role that we see, though, and that is other Christians, the church. I mean, look at Paul's relationship in verses 3 and 4. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Paul is in prison. He knows he's about to die, and he's taking time to pray and cry over someone that he cares so much for. I would say that he kind of cared for him. God has given the church to not replace the family, but God has given the church to fill roles that support the family. And I tell you what, right here in this church, there's a whole lot of Timothys walking around. And in this church, there's a whole lot of Pauls walking around. But how often do they get connected? You see, I talked about our youth leaders earlier. There's five of them. But when you have 20, 25 plus kids, that's a lot of kids to provide Paul and Timothy relationships for in the church. Who's your Timothy? Now expand it. Timothy wasn't just a teenager. Timothy was most likely in his 20s. Who could you be a Paul to in your life, and their life? Who could you come alongside of and be like, you know what? I'm not going to be proud here and say that I know it all, because I don't. But I've been where you're at, and I can see what you're going through, and I want to help you and walk alongside of you and build a relationship with you and take you in as a child in the faith just because I love you so much. And I want to pray for you. I want to walk alongside of you. I want to help draw you towards Jesus And no, I'm not a family member. I'm just a fellow Christian 
but would you be willing to do that? That doesn't always happen. But it's modeled for us in Scripture as something that successfully contributed to someone's genuine faith, so why doesn't it happen more? Maybe you're in the spot of Timothy, and you're like, man, I don't even really know like, where to start with God's Word. Like Maybe you are a, a Christian who maybe you, just, you don't know God's Word as well as you want to, and you just don't know where to start, and that's okay. But are you willing to reach out and find Paul to come alongside of you to just say, hey, look, I know this might be like awkward to ask. I've never done this before, but like, would you be willing to like take the next like six weeks and help me study God's word about this? Because I've seen you, I've seen you maybe teach or I've heard you talk about God's word and it sounds like you, you know God's word. Would you be willing to show me from God's word about what I'm seeking after? The church has been given as a role in people's life. Other Christians have been given as a role that contributes to a genuine faith in our lives. And sometimes, like we talked before, we don't always have family that might push us towards Christ. And that's okay. That's why God has given other roles in our life. The third and final role that we see in this passage is this, it's the Spirit of God. Verse 7, Paul encourages Timothy to fan into flame the gift that's been given him. And he says in verse 7, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Verse 14 talks about the Holy Spirit who dwells within us that will guard the good deposit entrusted to us. The Spirit of God plays a role in our life unlike any other person, family, or Christian could ever play. In fact, I would argue that the role of the Spirit of God is many times why faith fails. You know, faith is something that, as a human, I recognize that my faith is imperfect, right? I hope you recognize that. Our faith is imperfect. But the Spirit of God, the Bible says, if we place our imperfect faith in what Jesus Christ did for us when he died on the cross and he rose again for our sins, it says that he will give us grace. And when he gives us grace, it literally says he will send his Spirit to live inside of your life. And you say, Stephen, I have no idea what that even means. That might tell you something then about your faith in Christ. Because you see, the only way that I can explain it is to say, if you've ever experienced it, you know. Because the Spirit of God comes into our lives and the Bible talks about how he will convict. He'll convict us of sin. And it doesn't mean that Christians never sin because guess what? They do. Guess what I do? Guess what you do? That's why there's so many problems in humanity and in life, right? Because we sin, you sin, I sin, then we have to work all that out. It doesn't say that we'll never sin, but it says that he will convict us of that sin. Are we consistently running to Jesus in the midst of our struggles? 
It says that he'll encourage us. The Bible never says that trials will never come, but are we consistently running to Jesus when they do? You see, the Spirit of God, it talks about that he will bear witness with our our spirit. He will literally tell us that we are children of God, is what the Bible says. And I'm telling you right now, if you've never experienced what that means, I would encourage you to ask the Lord to show himself to you. And if, and if you've never experienced that and you don't know what that means, I would encourage you to reach out to him in faith. You say, Stephen, I've been going to church for 30 years. Awesome. Church has never been promised in scripture to be what gives us a relationship with God. It is placing our imperfect faith in what he did for us and him giving us his grace and his spirit to guide us throughout life. Notice there it says the spirit of God brings power. He brings power. You see there in verse seven, he gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power. Down in verse eight, for the, go- for the gospel by the power of God. This word power here is a word that dunamis, it literally means a supernatural power. A power that you and I cannot cook up. So when we go through hard times and we run from the Lord, If we are truly his children, he will pursue us and his power will reach out and it will draw us back to him. The Bible literally says in Hebrews, if you want to know if you're a child of God, look in your life the last time that you sinned and you did so willingly, because guess what? If you didn't return to the Lord, he will chasten you. He will punish you as a parent would their child to keep them from hurting themselves. The discipline of the Lord is a proving factor in our lives. And so we see that there was three roles in Timothy's life that contributed to his genuine faith. His family, other Christians, the church, and the Spirit of God contributed to this genuine faith that he had. Next, though, we want to make an observation and see that he didn't just have roles that contributed to his genuine faith. He had responsibilities of his genuine faith. Paul gives him some guidance. Verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, many people would say that this is referring to Timothy's ordination into the gospel ministry because of the laying on of hands that is mentioned here and in other places in God's word that signifies the setting aside. Others might say that since it just mentioned Paul, it could be Paul, Paul's mentoring in his life in the gospel ministry. Whatever it is, it refers to this gift that God has given through Paul and others to Timothy. And Paul tells him, you have to fan it into flame. That word literally means to kindle afresh. Now the context might be a gift of being called to serve vocationally. Timothy was a pastor. But every single one of us has been called to be a minister of the gospel of God. In fact, later in this passage, he's going to talk about the deposit that's been entrusted to you, to the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. Every single one of us has a responsibility to reach out. But in order for this to happen, we must take responsibility in our own lives to fan into flame the gift that God gives to us. 
You see, the roles that contribute to a genuine faith are not just in and of themselves what is going to guide us into genuine faith. We must take responsibility for our own lives and take up on us this genuine faith and choose to follow after God with our lives. This is why many times someone can have every influence in their life that draws them towards Christ, yet they choose to not do so, and they walk away from following Jesus. We must take a responsibility in our own lives if we want to have this genuine faith. Paul continues to give him some other responsibilities. Verse 8, stand strong. Don't be ashamed of the gospel and be willing to suffer. Get ready. I'm suffering. You should be ready to suffer. Many times we seek the easiest path and path of least resistance. Yet Paul says to Timothy, hey, the path of least resistance is not the path that you need to take. Take the path of the gospel and wherever it leads you, follow it. Be ready to suffer. Stand strong. Don't be ashamed. Verse 13, obedience and humility. Follow the pattern of sound words that you had heard from me in the faith and love those that are in Christ. Timothy, be willing to admit that you don't know everything and follow after these patterns that I have learned from the Lord. There's a responsibility that Timothy had to take in order to see this genuine faith work itself out each and every day in his life. And so the question remains, are you, not your parents, not your kids, not your spouse, not the person sitting down the row from you, are you following after Christ and taking responsibility for fanning into flame the gift that God has entrusted to you. You might not have been entrusted the gift of, uh, like Paul, an apostle, right? This traveling teacher. You might not have been entrusted the gift of Timothy, who was pastoring uh, different churches. But every single one of us, if you are a Christian and you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, has been entrusted a gift of salvation and the Holy Spirit of God living inside of your life? And are you kindling afresh that gift in your life? Because guess what? You're responsible. You and I are responsible for our own lives. The third observation is very simple and it's very quick and we'll be done. We've seen the roles that contribute to genuine faith. We've seen the responsibilities of genuine faith. But lastly, the reason for genuine faith. I don't know about you, but my mind, you can ask my wife, is a crazy place. Uh, But also, my mind requires reasons. Okay? Now, I'm starting to learn how to be a better arguer after six years of marriage, right? I'm starting to learn, right? I don't always have to be right, even though I want to be, but I I don't have to be, right? But whenever I get into a debate with someone, I operate on the basis that you have to give me reasons for what you're saying. In fact, the other day we were talking about something, and I can't even remember what it was now. It was probably something silly. Have you ever noticed that many times the debates you get into with your spouse are over the most silliest things? And it's like, 
We could have literally worked that out in 30 seconds if we had just like, you know what I'm saying? Is it just me? Maybe it's just me. But anyway, we were debating over something, and I literally said these words, and it, it, it's very sad that I said these words, but it makes me laugh a little bit now because I've confessed it to my wife and to God. But um, I literally said, I don't care if you tell me that I'm wrong, but you better give me reasons for why. Now, you can guess how that went over. Did not at all, right? But that's how my brain works. I need a reason in order to believe you. You better give me some proof. You better give me some facts. You better build a case here really quickly because if you just say this and this and this and you don't give me any proof, I'm going to have a hard time going with that because my brain has to have some type of logical reason. And I think God is so gracious that in his word, he gives so many reasons and proofs for us to follow up on. And Paul, in his letter to Timothy, gives Timothy a reason to keep on following after this genuine faith that he had. Verse 8, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner. Now, you got to remember, Paul had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus. He's speaking from first-hand, first-person knowledge. Don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, a different calling, a different way of living. Not because of our works, it wasn't anything we did, but it's because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And he is now, here it is, it has been manifested, it has been shown through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Verse 12, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Paul literally argues here that we, he says, Timothy, we have the proof we need. God didn't have to send his son visibly to this earth, but he did so anyway out of his own grace and purpose and mercy that he, he's had all along because he wanted to have a relationship with you. He wanted you to be able to know him. That's just kind of crazy to think about. And Paul argues, he says, the reason for a genuine faith is because Jesus showed up. I saw it. We got testimonies of it. There is a reason for genuine faith. And he says there, he talks about how it's not of your, it's not of your works. It's his own purpose and grace. And in verse 12, he says, for I know whom I have believed. You see, genuine faith is genuine when it takes root in our hearts and we know whom we have believed. Many times, we might be learning who we have believed and we will always be learning. But there is something about salvation that when I choose to follow after Jesus Christ and I have seen the proof, so to speak, 
When I place my faith in him and his spirit comes to live inside of me, there's something about his spirit that convinces me. It takes up my imperfections and my imperfect ways and it gives, it. I know, I'm convinced of whom I have believed. That word believe there is an interesting word. It literally means to believe. Thank you, dictionary. Uh, but also, this original Greek word literally has this idea of to put one's faith in, to trust with an implication that actions based on that trust may follow. The teens can tell you, I always give a, I, I always give this illustration when we talk about faith in Jesus. I can tell you that I believe going to the gym is good for me. You can tell me that you believe going to the gym is good for you. But if you look at me, I do not believe that the gym is good for me to go to to work out. Because if you looked at me and I was not a few pounds past my prime weight, that would prove that my belief was active and that I actually believed what I was talking about. You're not going to come to a fitness class and listen to me instruct it because I don't believe what I'm saying. You're going to go find some person who you look at them and you're like, that person knows what they're talking about and they believe, they have believed, they know, they are convinced of this. And that's the type of faith God's word talks about that we are supposed to approach him with. An active faith. A faith that says, I don't just acknowledge with my mind that God is here. I acknowledge it here and I choose to place everything in my life and base it all upon that one fact and to live every part of my life in obedience to what he has said to me because I believe. I have believed I'm convinced, and I know that he is able to guard me, to take care of me, and to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. The reason for genuine faith is not a book. It's not some nice little lecture. It's all wrapped up in a person. And God himself sent his son to be reason enough for all of mankind to follow after him. That's the reason for genuine faith. So this morning, we have to ask ourselves some questions. Because in order to apply God's word, we must ask ourselves questions from God's word. And I think the first question that is just very blatantly evident in this passage is, have you and I, have we placed our faith in Jesus Christ? Do we have a genuine faith to start with? And here's the thing, only you and God know the answer to that. The Bible says that there can be fruit in your life that can point towards it. There can be evidence that can point towards it. But no one except you and God can actually truly know the state of your eternal soul. Have you placed your faith 
in Jesus Christ. Not an acknowledgement of his presence, not an acknowledgement of truth, but a faith that is active. And does the Spirit of God reside in your life? Do you have a relationship with God? The second question, I think, is also very obvious in this text. And it's this, are you and I, are we fulfilling our responsibility, if we are Christians, are we fulfilling the responsibility of genuine faith in our life? Are we treating our faith like a Christmas present that's five years old and we have no idea where it is? Or is it a treasured possession that we continually kindle afresh each and every day in our lives because he has done so much for us? How in the world could I not kindle it each and every day? How in the world could I not follow after him each and every day? How in the world could I let it sit over on the side and get dusty and ignore it? I must kindle it afresh. Are you and I fulfilling the responsibilities of genuine faith in our life? He has saved us to a holy calling. Not to just keep doing things our way, but to follow after him. And thirdly, the final question is this. Are you and I contributing to someone else's genuine faith? This is where the rubber truly meets the road. In your life, you have an influence. You have a circle of influence. Who in that circle are you contributing to to draw them and to propel them forward in their genuine faith in Christ Jesus. Who's your Timothy? We ought to all have a Timothy. We ought to all have a Paul. Who are they? Well, I don't know. Guess what? There's a whole big room full here of people that you could probably find one. Families, are you contributing to one another's genuine faith? Siblings, are you contributing to your siblings' genuine faith or are you constantly tearing them down? Parents, are you propelling your kids towards Jesus or preparing them for quote-unquote life? Both are vital. But Timothy, I believe, was greatly influenced by his parents. Children, are you obeying your parents and humble enough to listen to their guidance to follow after the Lord and to be propelled forward in your genuine faith because you were willing to listen to them? Are you contributing to someone else's genuine faith? This morning, we have seen a portrait of genuine faith from Scripture, and the application is simple. We have a responsibility. It's in our court, so to speak. The ball is in our court. Do you have a genuine faith? Are you fulfilling the responsibility of your genuine faith if you have one? And are you contributing to someone else's genuine faith? All are vital because genuine faith is an individual endeavor and it's also a group project. So I would encourage us today on Youth Sunday, look in and look around and seek to grow together and individually in our genuine faith in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you, Lord. I thank you for your gift. I thank you that you were merciful enough to show your son to me. 
Lord, I thank you that you were gracious enough when I was in middle school and patient enough to put up with my endless questions, my constant doubting, and to reach down one more time and to prove yourself to me and show yourself to me. And Lord, I'm happy that today I can say, I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he's able to guard that which has been entrusted to me until that day. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church to contribute to one another's genuine faith and our growth in it. I pray that you would help us as families, Lord, to take responsibility for one another and to propel one another forward to seek after a genuine faith in you. And Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us to realize the responsibility we have as a Christian. And lastly, Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who this morning does not know you, Lord, whether they have gone to church for 50 years or 50 minutes, I pray, Lord, that you would show yourself to them today. It might be right now. It might be in four hours. It might be in in 12 hours. But I pray, Lord, that today you would show yourself to them because your word says that you have manifested yourself to us. And Lord, I love you. And I thank you for your grace. I thank you for everything that you've done. And in Jesus' name, amen.